Chapter Twenty Four of the Sacred Herb by Fergus Hume. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The beginning of the end. After a strong word or two, Prela sat down philosophically to consider his position. A weaker man might have raged aimlessly and have wasted his strength in battering at the closed door, but Lord Prelice was too wise to kick against the pricks. He had been trapped sure enough, and he did not see any way out of the trap. No one knew where he was save the boatman who had brought him, and even as this thought came into his mind he heard the raunchous voice of Bryson telling the man that his passenger would remain on board. More than this, Bryson paid the waterman and sent him away. Until the hue and cry was raised, the owner of the boat would say nothing so it was absolutely certain that Prelice would have to remain in durance vile without hope of immediate rescue. The situation, however, was not devoid of certain consolations. Without doubt, Jadby's plan was to bring Mona on board the Canaro and steam away with her to Polynesia. Prelice, at all events, would be on the same boat as the girl, and if it came to fighting with Jabby, he felt certain that he could hold his own. Moreover, if, as Bryson declared, the yacht belonged to Madame Marie, he, as her captain, owed fealty to her rather than to Jadby. And the fortune-teller certainly would not allow her steamer to carry Mona Chint to the South Seas to be the bride of her precious Felix. No! Things, on reflection, were not so bad after all. In any case, Prelis felt that he was in the thick of the whole villainous business, and soon would be within arm's length of Mona. When she was dragged on board by her scoundrelly kidnapper, it would then be the time to act. Prelis lovingly fingered a revolver which he had strapped behind him, and wondered if it would be necessary to use it. The weapon formed a strange addition to the very civilized suit of tweeds which he wore, and was out of place in sober, law-abiding England. But then danger and murder and sudden death had entered into his life, and it was necessary to prepare for emergencies. "'I am not a bloodthirsty man,' said Prelice, while seeing that his gun was well loaded and worked without a hitch." but I should like one clean shot at Felix Jadby. And it may be mentioned that if the shooting took place, Prelice would probably hit the bull's eyes, represented by the buccaneer. He was a clean shot and very quick with his weapon, as those who inhabited uncivilized parts knew from experience. The afternoon wore on to six o'clock, and still Prelice was left alone in his floating dungeon. Probably Bryson did not desire a personal explanation, knowing that he could not make any very pertinent reply to this breaking of the law, and it was possible that he preferred to leave the explanation to Jadby when he arrived with his prey. Personally, Prelice cared very little. He knew that Mona was safe, though in the power of a scoundrel, for she was a brave girl, and a religious girl, who firmly believed in God. So did Prelice, and he was quite content to think that God, who was slightly stronger than Felix Jadby, would look after his angel. This being so, 
and the young man knowing that god would bring everything to pass for the best in his own good time prelice quietly smoked cigarette after cigarette throughout that weary afternoon then he stretched himself on the divan and went to sleep wondering how ned was getting on with his search and what madame marie and rover were doing he was awakened about eight o'clock by a bright light and a sense that someone was looking steadily at him with a yawn he opened his eyes and saw that a steward was lighting the swing lamp over the central table and that captain bryson was looking down upon him the sailor had a rugged but somewhat good-natured face and possessed an extraordinary athletic figure which promised well for fighting purposes well said prelice swinging his legs on to the floor are you going to starve me bryson burst into a hoarse laugh while his unwilling guest blinked and rubbed his eyes you're a plucky chap my lord said he approvingly thanks awfully but i prefer food to compliments i'm just about to eat myself hurry up stuart then when the man had gone out bryson threw his cap on a chair and resumed you wonder maybe why i keep you here no said prelice stretching himself it's all in the game what game asked bryson abruptly the very dangerous one you are playing along with jadby and your mistress with dr horace too for all i know i've never met horace whoever he may be retorted bryson gruffly but all i know of the game is that i have to obey orders if you break owners finished prelice remembering the saying and you will break them before you're done none of your larks my lord i've got a gun so have i answered prelice loaded in all six chambers but you need make no mistake bryson i intend to stop here and see the game out to the end captain jadby and i have to settle accounts what sort of accounts well jadby is kidnapping the lady to whom i am engaged you can't expect me to stand that i guess not assented bryson agreeably i'm hitched up with a girl of spirit myself and if anyone dare to he clenched his huge fist looking pistols and daggers and maximum guns that's the proper spirit bryson by the way prelice got out a cigarette you might tell me how much you know of this business very little i reckon answered the captain more and more puzzled by the young man's coolness jadby and madame came to london some months ago and she started the fortune-telling racket while he went to see his uncle i anchored the boat in thames river and went a loaf round the coast at times to keep the barky and trim then the other day madame sends a message that i'm to bring the canaro round here which i have done now i'm waiting for further orders when jadby comes on board with miss chent bryson nodded but i don't take any orders from any son of a sea cook you can bet your boots madam's owner and she wants to run in double harness with jadby rum though her taste may be if he's skipping with a girl that's madam's lookout i don't sail until she gives me the office prelice nodded his approval in that case jadby will get left he remarked coolly 
for he's trying to play low down on Madame Marie. By the way, if you know so little of the game, why detain me? Well, said Bryson, scratching his head, Madame visited the yacht at times when we were swinging off Gravesend. She told me there was some trouble over these murders. You know about them? Only what I read in the papers. But Madame said that you were taking a hand in the meddling way and that she'd like to keep you out of the whole business. As I like Madame, who is a dandy fine woman with a temper, I put you in quad the moment I heard your name. You must stop here, my lord, until Madame comes on board. You have acted in a somewhat high-handed manner and without any instructions to go upon, said Prelice calmly. If I wanted to make a row, I could. Not in this ship, growled Bryson. Oh, I think so. Yonder is the porthole, and there isn't very much distance between this boat and the shore. Also, there are other steamers lying at anchor close at hand. Not to speak of my boatman having been in a position to be spoken to from the porthole. I could fire a shot or two and rouse the harbor and I could have hailed my boatman before you sent him away. I did none of these things. And why? Because I am in the very position I wish to be in. Jadby is coming on board, and I want to meet Jadby. And to rescue the girl. To rescue the young lady, corrected Prelice coldly. If you attempt to clear out with Miss Chent, I'll make it hot for you. What can you do? What I said. I have my revolver, see? Prelice whipped out his weapon before Bryson could move. I have you covered. What is to prevent me from shooting you and racing on deck to swim ashore? The captain did not move a muscle. You can put the gun down, my lord, said he with a note of admiration in his voice. I promise you that I won't steam for the Southern Cross until Madame gives the word. Madame won't come on board. Then I wait until she does, retorted Bryson. Will you put that gun down, or am I to be shot? You are more used to me alive than dead, said Prelice, and slipped his derringer behind him, handy for the grip. But I see the tea is on the table. I'm infernally hungry. Bryson smacked his great thigh and looked at Prelice with much admiration. Guess you'll come home on the winter, said he as they sat at the table and I should just love to see you get the bulge on that son of a sea cook. Meaning Jadby? Meaning Jadby, assented Bryson gravely. Have some salt tack. The hungry guest assented very readily and ate a decent meal of extremely bad seafood. Prelice was not fastidious when in the wilds and passed over the table like a prairie fire. At the conclusion of the meal, Bryson mixed him a tot of rum, and handed along a box of very good cigars, which had never paid duty. Then to pass the time until Jadby arrived, they chatted. Amongst other things, Prelice learned that Bryson had met Sir Oliver Lanwin and did not like him. The baronet had a bad record in the South Seas. I was in his service once, growled Bryson, cutting up tobacco with a clasped knife, but he gave me the chuck cause I wouldn't pile up a schooner which he'd insured for wrecking. 
Agstone did, though, and he filled a dirty little pipe with the rank tobacco. Hmm, you knew Agstone? Bryson nodded. He was a fairy tale pirate, was Agstone, said he. Lord, I could put in the night yarning about his doings. Murder amongst them, too, and he spat. Sir Oliver knew of that and got the hang of Aggie. No wonder Aggie got square with him. Do you mean to say that he murdered Sir Oliver? You can hold on to that, my lord. Sir Oliver treated Aggie like the old devil treats a holy man. Course I wouldn't swear to Aggie's knifing him in a court of law, but it sounds like Aggie. Wonderfully quick with his sticker was Aggie. And who do you think murdered Agstone? Bryson leered. You've got me there, he confessed. I can't lay my hand on the son of a gun that did that. Prelis nodded. Possibly Agstone had turned on his tyrant to send him below, but it was impossible to say who had sent Agstone to join the baronet. About Madame Marie now, is that her real name? he inquired. Oh, yes. Marie Eppengrave. She's the daughter of a Tahiti merchant and a French lady. There's no half-caste rubbish about Madame, you bet. She's got cash, too. This yacht and a slap-up island all to herself. Why she wants to collect Jadby into her life, I don't know. But there, you can't understand women folk. You like Madame Marie? Seeing she nursed me through a yellow fever bout and gave me this command, I do, said the man of the sea. A good sort is Madame, with a temper of sorts, of course, as every woman should have. She'd knife a man as soon as look at him and nurse him square after her temper had busted. Wish she'd knife Jadby. He's a rotten beachcomber. Hmm. Prelice thought for the space of half a cigar. And Madame Marie's fortune-telling? Well, I guess there's no explanation of that, my lord. She's got piles of cash, but maybe her heart's in them hocus-pocus things. I've seen her do some rum business on occasions. When she looks at you, you feel cold water freezing your spine. Can't say I'd like to have her to be Mrs. Bryson, even if I put my old gal into her wooden overcoat. But Madame Marie's a dandy fine woman. No mistake about that. In such life conversation did the two while away the time until ten o'clock. Then they went on deck. Bryson was quite willing to allow Prelis to accompany him, as he had grown to like the young man, and moreover was ready to take his word that he would not try to escape. But Prelis warned him that he would make trouble to save Mona if needful, and Bryson, being on the side of Madame Marie, was agreeable that it should be so. Besides, he had a sneaking liking for Prelis's somewhat stormy wooing, and wished to help him. Perhaps a strong dislike for Jadby had something to do with Bryson's attitude. It was a perfect night, lighted by a brilliant moon and countless stars. A warm wind was blowing from the land, and far up on the heights twinkled the innumerable lights of Folkestone. The Canaro rocked at anchor a stone's throw from the shore, and many other vessels of a less piratical nature were anchored in the harbor. The water shone like a sheet of silver, 
and the green and red riding lights of the ships glittered in the sheeny depths. Prelice leaned over the side of the boat and strained his eyes to see if any craft was approaching the Canaro. But for quite half an hour he beheld nothing. However, he was tolerably certain that Jadby would come carrying Mona with him, and felt if his revolver was ready in his hip pocket. If need be, he was resolved to shoot the buccaneer, and who can blame him, considering how basely Jadby had acted? It was when the clock from the church tower boomed out eleven that the trouble came. Bryson laid his big hand on Prelice's arm and pointed to a boat which was putting off from a somewhat deserted part of the shore. Three figures were in it, two rowing and one seated, holding the tiller ropes. The rowers were laboring hard to reach the Canaro, and Prelice saw through his glass that other figures on the land were launching another boat to follow. "'There's going to be a holy show,' swore Bryson under his breath. "'I wish—he fingered his revolver, but did not dare to use it. The place was too civilized. The first boat came on swiftly, and Prelice discerned that Jadby was rowing with the other man, and that Madame Marie was seated in the stern.' He could see nothing of Mona, and his heart thrilled, as he thought from the presence of the second boat, which had now put off, that the girl had been saved, and that her kidnapper was now being pursued. Bryson watched the race between the two boats, and then ran on to the bridge. Prelice heard him shout to the engineer to start the engines, for the boat had steam up, and a minute later he heard the steady throbbing of the screw while a rush of men hastily pulled up the anchor. Apparently Bryson saw that the only chance of safety for Madame Marie and Jadby was to have the boat ready to start, and risk the engines going before the anchor was up. Indeed, this latter took so much time, and time was so precious that he shouted out to let the anchor slip, and the roar of the chain showed that his orders had been obeyed. Meanwhile, many people were rushing to and fro on the shore. It was apparent that everyone knew something untowards was going on, and that there was intense excitement. Already other boats were putting off, and Bryson was cursing, like the old salt he was, at the danger of his beloved mistress. The first boat swung near the side of the yacht, and Bryson raced from the bridge to the side to shake out the rope ladder. Madame Marie rose to grip the rope, but in a moment Jadby was on his feet and catching her round the waist had thrown her into the sea. Bryson gave a cry of wrath, and as Jadby placed his hand on the ladder, he leaned over, fumbling behind with his hand. The next moment there was a clear, sharp crack of a revolver, and Jadby, with a wild cry, fell off the ladder into the sea. The boatman cowered in his craft, and Prelice could see the head of Madame Marie appear some distance away as she came to the surface and drifted with the tide. On witnessing the sudden catastrophe, the second boat rowed towards the drowning woman. Bryson uttered a shout of rage as Madame Marie was pulled into the boat and ran up again onto the bridge. Damn it! They've got her! he yelled and twirled the dial to full speed ahead. Then he sprang to the wheel and wrenched it out of the steerman's hands. Prelice soon saw what he meant. 
The Canaro bore straight down onto the boat. Bryson was evidently prepared to kill his mistress rather than let her fall into the hands of her enemies. A shout of dismay arose from the boat as the great bulk of the yacht swung forward. In a flash, Prelice took his choice and poised his revolver at the mad captain. There was a crack of the revolver, a cry from Bryson, and he went down like a shot, while the boat swung helplessly in the harbor, the engines working powerfully, but the wheel swinging idly. Two or three sailors, seeing that Prelice had shot the skipper, came towards him with a rush. The young man did not lose time. He jumped on the taffrail and dived straight into the silver tide. As he rose to the surface, the crew flung belaying pins and spars and bits of coal lying on the deck at him. One man, with a straighter aim than the others, hit Prelice with a lump of hard coal. The young man uttered a gasping cry and, flinging up his hands, went down. His last look was at the yacht, and he saw that she swung round and was heading full speed for the entrance to the harbor. End of chapter 24